Hello, my name is Brian Silver, pastor of Hope Community Church in Lower Town in the beautiful and historic neighborhood of Lower Town in St. Paul, Minnesota. And welcome to Sunday Rewind, where we discuss the major doctrines of the Christian faith and then discuss the real-life implications of that doctrine with a guest from our church. Okay, welcome back to Sunday Rewind for another episode. Glad you're able to make it, listen, listen in um, today, wherever you are, uh, whatever time it is. Glad you're able to uh, check it out. This week, I'm I'm really excited. I, I probably say that every week. Um, certain doctrines uh, I've maybe just studied more. I just find a little bit uh, fascinating or a little bit more personal, whatever it may be. This this uh, doctrine that we're going to be looking at uh, today, which is creation, I'm actually going to break this up into two weeks, just because I there's there's a lot of info here, and I think there's a lot of questions. And so normally when I when I give this lecture, it's it's really um, kind of one one big question or two questions. But um, how did God create the world? And then the uh, second part of that, and what does the Bible really say about it? I'm actually going to break those two up. So today I kind of want to look at. Um, maybe the how or the different views on creation that are out there. Uh, and there's a, there's actually a lot of them uh, within uh, the secular world that would just say uh, people who don't believe the Bible. And, and then even within people that would be labeled uh, Christian, what are the different views? Um, I'm going to do my best to be um, objective in this. I don't, and I, and I always try to do that when I, when I teach. And especially when we start to getting uh, to a class like this that has multiple views, I don't want to you know demonize one view and then clearly be like, oh, this one is is brilliant, um, and then the other one, oh, these are terrible, right? I I don't want to do that. I want to just be able to 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 float them out there, um, and uh, you know I'll share my view and where I'm at and and all that. Um, so one cool thing about this 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 doctrine really changed my life. <laughs> It did, and I, and I mean it uh, in this way. The very first class I took in seminary was on creation. I took it uh, first because I I thought I knew a lot about creation. I had studied this my whole life. Um, it seemed very simple and a simple concept to grasp if I believed the Bible and believe how God made the world, reading Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And I was in my class of 20 people. And I was the only person in my class who believed uh, a certain position, which is going to be a, a young earth or a little literal creation um, uh, and, 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 you know, creationism. And so I and, and it kind of struck me like here I am at a very conservative um, uh, university and seminary and and I didn't understand why. And as I started to study more and, and was hearing other viewpoints that still held true to biblical orthodoxy, I was very confused. And I just said, man, how come I've never even heard of these other views until seminary? Uh, why was I only limited to this one view? And I went and talked to a gentleman who was very influential in my life growing up. He was a lot older than me. And I just said, how come you know, I went to your school? You know, How come I was never taught this, not even in college? And and it was like, well, that's not what we believe. So why would we teach that? And it's like, oh man, I, you know, when, when you get to 18, 19, 20, 21, or if you're like me, 23, when you finally graduate from college, um, you start to think for yourself and it was frustrating. And, and so that kind of started a domino effect for me, um, of going back to other doctrines 
and saying, wow, what other views are out there that I don't even, I don't even know about. And it, and it really uh, transformed my, my life um, starting with creation. So maybe that'll happen to some of you today. Maybe it won't. I don't know. At the same time, this can be very controversial uh, stuff. People can be very passionate about this. And I understand why I get the arguments uh, for why this would be such a big, big thing. And so, again, I want to remind you that when you're discussing this with people, that matter and manner matter. That that what I say, the content, right? And I'm going to say that's from the Bible. What I'm saying is really important. But how I portray that, how I come across as I'm teaching that or teaching this topic is also vitally important. They both really matter. So is this topic important, right? So let's go back to that raft analogy. This is not the raft. This is not the raft. This is cargo on my raft um, that you can have a very different view of creation and how to read Genesis 1 and 2 or maybe Genesis 1 through 5 and still be a Christian. And so I want to make sure that's true. I think this is more important than my socks, you know, that when it's 80 degrees, uh, and yet, I don't think this is necessarily all my food that someone's getting rid of. I, it, it's, it's for me, it's somewhere in the middle. It's important, um, and yet it's not. Um, I'm not going to die on this hill. And yet, I'm I'm passionate about this. I, I I've studied this a lot, and I feel very confident about my view on uh, where I'm at. Um, you know, very confident meaning maybe 75 percent very confident. Um, and so. I just want to make sure that we don't um, completely lose ourselves in, in the weeds. I think this is one of those doctrines that Tim Keller, a uh, pastor out in, in New York City, would say is a defeater belief. And what, what he means by that is, do I have to believe everything in Genesis 1 and 2 in order to be a Christian? And, and I believe the answer is no. Now, there are certain aspects of it that I think are essential, do you believe in a God? Yes. Okay. Do you believe now? And then we're jumping all the way to the New Testament that he sent his son to die for you and all these different things. Now, how we got here, is that vital? Okay. So, so my neighbor and this, I'm um, this all hypothetical. So, you know, if my neighbors are listening to this, I'm not talking about you. Um, but if my neighbor were to say, man, I've studied, I've studied science my whole life. I've studied the, the, the theory of evolution my whole life. I cannot believe the Bible because I think that we are uh, we've evolved from from apes. I don't I don't think that it's the, the the Bible is accurate. To be able to look them in the eye and say, "Yeah, I don't I don't think that that's actually in contradiction." Now I I do deep down, uh, but I don't think that means this person cannot believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Because when that happens, I think there's a, do a domino effect of saying, "Oh, because now the Holy Spirit can come in and can help them understand." But we're going to get there. We're going to talk about um, evolution and theistic evolution um, uh, today. Okay, so I just wanted to get that get that out there that this is very important, and yet it's not vital for salvation, uh, in, in my opinion. And there are there are people out there, probably not anybody listening to this, that would really disagree with what I just said. Um, now, again, if if I look at Genesis one and two, and I say, oh no, I don't believe in a god. Well, okay, yeah, of course. Now that's not the raft, right? That's that's a totally different doctrine. That's not creation, okay? So let me let me point out a few things um, on this, and then uh, we'll we'll jump into the different viewpoints. All right. 
the first thing when we look at the universe and, and God creating the universe is that the, there's biblical evidence that God creates it out of nothing or what St. Augustine would call ex nihilo. That means out of nothing, but as I'll, I'll point out eventually um, and, and probably in just a couple weeks here, when Augustine said that, he he didn't mean that God made it completely out of nothing. He meant he didn't have any other pre-existing matter. Um, and then he took that matter and then formed it. Um, he made all that out of nothing. And yet God, it did come from something. It came from God. All right. So we got to be careful with our understanding, understanding of that. He didn't just create the physical world. He also creates the spiritual world and universe at the same time. What does that look like? How vast is that? I have no idea. Um, we have a glimpse and some little images of that in Scripture, but it's very unclear, that world, as we will get to when we start to get into angelology and all that. Uh, direct creation of Adam and Eve. Okay, and so this is what I mean by um, understanding of even Even when I look at theistic evolution, um, which I'll, well, I'll just talk about it now. I was going to do that later, but it kind of fits here. Theistic, theistic evolution is the idea that there is a creator God, um, but he uses the process of evolution um, as he's creating the world. So I can take all my theories of the Big Bang and, and evolution and, and Darwinism, and say, no, God God actually had his hand in that. Because that's it's always a big thing. And one of my big arguments is just to, statistically to see how could all these things happen um, to make life on this rock floating through the air at hundreds of thousands or millions of miles an hour spinning and orbiting. You know, it's crazy that life exists. And statistically impossible. Um, and so they would say, well, yeah, but but there is a creator God, and he is guiding this process. And so at, at one point in time, and this is where they would say, and I would agree, um, that even within that theistic process, when it went from ape to human, God was directly involved with that. Now, I, I don't believe in, in evolution that way. Um, and so I believe that God's hand was directly involved with the creation of, of all life and all uh, animals and kinds and species of animals, but I'll, I'll get, we'll get to that. But there's a, some type of direct creation or his hand is involved with Adam and Eve. Uh, he creates time. He's above time. He's outside of time, but he creates that with the seasons and with the sun and the stars, and the moon. Um, and then as we looked at last week in the Trinity, uh, the work of the sun and the spirit are also involved within creation. Okay, so uh, a big thing is that creation is distinct from God and yet always dependent on God. And so there's different views, though, uh, that would actually counteract that. And these wouldn't necessarily be within Christianity. Uh, I don't know of any uh, Christian uh, or evangelical or whatever you want to label anybody as that would believe one of these. Uh, the first one, though, simply is going to be materialism. All right, materialism is the idea that uh, there there really is no God. All there is in the universe is material, right? And so that you can see how that would be contradictory uh, with Christianity or anything that the Bible teaches about the universe and the world, because um, that's all there is. There's just the universe. There's just matter, and then that's going to be a lot of modern scientists that are that are out there, right? Um, another view, and this is again, this is maybe other world religions. But a lot of people might might believe this uh, these different views as well. 
and that's pantheism, and that simply means that um, all or everything uh, in the whole universe is God. Uh, I remember watching an interview one time, and 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 someone was just going around and asking people their view on on creation and, and all that. And one person said this, which was kind of surprising. It's not something in our Western culture that a lot of people uh, believe. Um, and they were just kind of standing outside smoking a cigarette and, and they said, no, I'm, I'm a pantheist. I believe that, that everyone and everything is, is God. And, uh, the interviewer said, so you, you believe I'm, I'm God. And they said, well, you're, you're part of God or you were a God and, and so am I. And so is that tree. And the guy said, and he wasn't trying to be a jerk. He really wasn't in the interview, but he just said, so do you, do you believe you're, you're smoking, uh, God? And and she kind of looked at him and just was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I guess I am. So that that's that view of God um, is in everything. There's another view that's not nearly as popular. It was uh, kind of came around in the 1800s called panentheism. That's not even in Grudem Systematic. It's such a small thing. It was trying to differentiate itself from pantheism. Um, and panentheism is just that he's in and around and above it, but not necessarily makes it up. Very kind of confusing Um Dualism is another view, and this one might be a little bit more popular uh, in the sense of that there is a God and there is the universe. There's God in a material world, and they have both um, existed eternally and will exist uh, in the future. Um, And yet they're they're both there kind of trying to work together and do different things in the universe. Um, And so when we look at – again, when we we look at creation – uh, we have to believe that that either everything came from nothing, uh, um, that it, that it somehow just popped into being, and that that's that doesn't make any sense, or that the matter, the material universe, had to always exist, or that there was a god that existed who created that that material, um, and this is kind of this dualism is a way to say uh, try to fight that to say oh no they they both existed. Uh, eternally, and and yet when I when I read the Bible and I interpret anything in Genesis chapter one, um, it's in the beginning God created, and and so to say they that that the the universe the material existed with God, um, it just goes it flies in the face of everything the Bible teaches about the creation of the world. Um, deism that's going to be probably a little bit more of a popular uh, aspect of of deism. Uh, in the sense of um, that there is a God, there was a creator, but he's not involved in the universe. Uh, that he he created it and just said, hey, I'm just going to sit here and observe. I'm just going to watch, right? Maybe kind of the old, it's kind of the, the maybe the, the popular image of old, old father time. Um, and he just, you know, the great clock winder sometimes that he's called within deism. He created it, he got it all going, and now he could care less. At some point, he may uh, judge and do th- something to fix it or end it or whatever. But right now, we're just kind of floating along doing our thing in the universe, and he doesn't care that he's removed himself from from that. Okay, now let's get into those. So those, those are kind of some uh, secular theories, if you will. Um, other, other views, I talked about theistic evolution. Let me briefly just mention... Um, uh, something on, on Darwin and, and I don't want to get too in depth with this, but I, but I want to talk about the difference between a micro evolution and macro evolution. When I, when I look at the Bible and I look that in that in the creation story, 
that God creates animals and human beings in their kinds, uh, in their species, I, I really cannot accept uh, evolution in the sense that it all stemmed from one cell or one um, piece of matter that turned into life uh, with the right amount of light and carbon and, and fill in the blanks that it turned into life and it split and every single thing has come from that. But what I can believe and I and we and I'm telling you right now we need to believe from science and modern science is in this idea of of microevolution and that is in the sense of that we evolve over time that animal the animal world evolves over time that we see plant life evolving over time and and within our lifetime uh, we see this I mean we are you know dogs I'm a dog person I've got a golden retriever um, you know sleeping right next to my feet right now and. Uh, if if my dog were to breed, uh, you know, with a husky or with a poodle, then we would get a golden doodle, right? And that that is, in a sense, uh, this microevolution that we can see this process happen over time. That we can look at, you know, even within Darwinism and look at the, you know, Darwin's finch. How did how did this thing get this mouth that was able to crush certain kinds of nuts versus these kinds of nuts and these kinds of seeds? That that actually can take place. There are there are animals that live in caves that don't even have eyes anymore because they've, they've lived there for so long. Their bodies are just saying, we don't need this thing. And, and again, his view of evolution is saying, okay, let's, we give that enough time uh, and space and energy. Then eventually that, that blind salamander, maybe some of them will climb out of the cave and then go, Oh, I need some eyes and grow them back or, or whatever it may be. And then eventually given enough time, we get to humanity, uh, the pinnacle of the creation. And so, um, I can't wrap my mind around that. I, I do see micro, but I do not see macro evolution. Um, okay, so let's talk about the theories of creation. And I know I, I flew over that. Okay, there's a lot more that could be said. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. Um, but here's what I do know, and I believe this to be true: that that um, that there, when when all the facts are rightly understood, all right, when I really understand the facts of creation. That there will be no final conflict between scripture and natural science. I really believe that. I'm not against science, right? I I love science and I love learning new things about science. And I don't go in there with all oh, these crazy secular people. I want to learn and I want to understand. Um, and yet have my my framework, my worldview of I'm a Christian and how can I understand this through scripture? And I really don't think there should be conflict. And yet there is. There's a lot of conflict. And why is that? And I think it's because we have different views on how to interpret Genesis 1 and 2. Again, I'm going to look at what I really believe Genesis is teaching um, in our next episode. We'll kind of break this one up into two. Uh, but the first one, and these and these views are all... Um, these, these I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention here uh, one, two, three, four, five. Five different views that I genuinely believe fall into biblical orthodoxy. I, I see some pros of some of them. I see some cons with some of them, but I'm going to just try to explain it um, and even kind of defend it and maybe show some weaknesses with it. And and I'm right, especially for the people that, that are going to be my guests that'll be coming on this show. We're going to talk about this. And, and again, it's okay if we disagree. Um, so, and there might even be a mesh of some of these that 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 might even be true. Okay, so the first one that I think, um, uh, and this is how I, I grew up, was that literal creationism, young Earth creation scientists, 
uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, creation science. Creation scientists are very different. Um, they don't necessarily believe in creation or science. Um, and so uh, we got to be careful with that. All right. What is this? This means when I read the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 in particular, and I get to the days of creation, that I'm going to say that those are six or seven literal 24-hour days, that when I read the Bible uh, word for word, literally, how could it mean anything else? Um, people that would that would uh, be in this camp, this is going to be the Creation Museum. Uh, if you're familiar with that, uh, Ken Ham, he's a, he's the advocate. He's the kind of the president of that, that ministry. And, and they've done some really awesome things. And, and again, they, they're trying to prove their point based on interpreting Genesis one and two, very, very literally. And that's, and that's okay. Uh, so we would say, they would say that the age of the earth is only about 10,000 to 20,000 years old, uh, max. And they're going to do that through genealogies, um, and their own uh, testing and those kinds of things. And they'd say, well, how is that possible? How can we look at the fossil record? How can we look at rocks? Well, uh, one aspect is you're going to have just could God created the world with age. That when he created Adam and formed Adam, even though Adam was just one minute old, he was a grown man who could speak and think and talk and eat and all those different things, right? That he was created with age, that if you were to go into the garden of Eden and chop down a tree, it wouldn't just be one giant new ring, right? It would probably have, have rings. And so he created the world with, with age, right? And I I think that's a, that, is that possible? Yes, that's very possible. Um, my, my struggle with that, and this is just me personally, see, this is where my, my objectivity gets in the way and I apologize. I should just explain it well, whatever. I already I already let the cat out of the bag. I'm not in this camp, obviously, anymore. But um, let me let me just explain why. With that with that view, I'm not okay. There we go. I didn't say I'm not in this camp. I I can't I can't wrap my mind around God creating the world with age, um, because that would mean God was just out to trick us. You know what I mean? Like like hey, I put all these fossil records under the earth, and uh, wait, you think the earth is is uh, 10 billion years old? <laughs> gotcha. I made it look like it was that old. It's not right. I just I have a hard time uh, wrapping my mind around that. One that makes a far more sense that I am able to try to grasp is what's called catastrophism, or some major catastrophe. One like hey, a worldwide flood. Uh, that when the flood happened, everything was rapidly buried underwater. Which again, that's the only way you can get a fossil is when it's rapidly buried underwater in mud. Right, that if that if a deer goes out into my into the the you know the woods in my backyard here in my neighborhood and dies from old age or starvation, and keels over, just on the grass next to a tree, it's going to decompose completely. And yet we have very good fossil records of something that buried all these. Like, I mean, so these giant dinosaurs were buried rapidly. Now there's again there's a lot of theories behind how the dinosaurs got. Right, I'm not going to get into that. At least not now. Again, there's so much that could be said here, right? So that's that's one of like, okay, there's something happened. Another uh, one really big point they'll use is actually Mount St. Helens, um, that when it blew up, an entire side of the mountain ripped out. And as the ash deposited, um, it made this huge valley and just carved out this massive, massive valley. And, and so when, other, when, when scientists went out there, non-creationist uh, scientists went out there, they would they would they looked at it, the, the rock formations. Oh, man, this is... You know, these are 10,000 years old. And and then 
the the other scientists, people that lived there, were like, "Nope, this is this is eight weeks old." Actually, it all developed right right here in front of our eyes. So that's one thing, right? And if there's a catastrophe and there's volcanoes erupting and there's water from the deep uh, coming up and coming down, and a lot of people will say, "Well, where all the water go?" Well, didn't we just find? some massive reservoirs, uh, more than even what we have on our oceans, like somewhere really deep. I was just reading about, um, which is just crazy. Um, and so it's like, wow, maybe that all that water came up and then went back down. I, right. Who, who knows? But I don't, I don't want to just, just say what well, this, this is, we cannot believe a literary or a literal way to view the Bible. I think what we'll talk about next week though, is that, is that the way the Bible, uh, in Genesis one and two should be read? And we'll, we'll talk about that. The next one is going to be uh, historical creationism, uh, and this would have been uh, Augustine's view. This would have been several, a lot of people, uh, theologians throughout the time, uh, ages, who believe this. Um, it's also uh, currently called the gap theory, but there's kind of two different gap theories, so it can be kind of confusing. If you just Google gap theory, you might get two different ones, uh, but historical creationism uh, is a, is an, is another word for it. And this is simply, and why it's called a gap theory, um, is because that they believe that there is a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. It says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth period. And then, then it moves on. And then God did this and he created this and all these different things. And in that word beginning is, is very indefinite and we have no idea just sometime in the past. We don't know how long ago that was. God created everything, the heavens and the earth. And then when they get to the six days of creation, um, if, if the heavens and the earth are already created, right? The heavens and the earth means the skies, the stars, the sun, uh, the earth. That, that means rock, right? And everything on it. And then we get to the six days. It, these, these days of creation are making the world inhabitable for humankind. And so, for all that time, animals roamed the earth. It was possibly dinosaurs. And then God says, okay, I'm going to make something awesome. I'm going to make a creature in my image. Uh, and he's going to be distinct from this world. And yet, I don't think he should be walking around with a T-Rex. Um, these animals aren't going to work. So so maybe he destroys them with the flood. Maybe he destroys them with, with an asteroid or a comet that comes and hits the right? All that. It could be a, a super long period of time. God creates all the life. Uh, we have the fossil record that's formed. And then he says, okay, now, now let there be light. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it. So my presence is with them. That would be maybe, um, an interpretation, interpretation of light that I'm going to be there now shining myself, my glory in this planet, um, and, and create humans. Uh, the other one, the third one is, is what's called the gap theory. Or this means gaps in between days. And so when God says, let there be light, uh, and there was light and separates the light and the darkness, and that was day one. We don't know how long time went in between the days. It doesn't have to be day, 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 day. It could have been day, 10 billion years, day, 10 billion years, right? So that's that's the other theory. Um, it, it, it can, that can be a little bit confusing. It's like, oh, that okay, I can start to wrap my mind around that. Um it, the problem gets in the order of when the plant life is created and when the animals are created and would the, would the, would people have anything to eat? And a lot of different things going on there. Um, when it, when it comes to that. And yet it's really hard to, when you get into the Hebrew language 
to try to get a gap uh, in in that phrase when it says that and that was the end of day one, and then on day two God created. It, it gets a little difficult. Uh, another one that might be a little bit more um, sensible, at least scripturally within the Hebrew language to wrap our mind around is the day age theory. Um, that when we get to a, a, a day with the Lord is a thousand years or, or, and that's, and again, that's, that's um, symbolic. It just means it could be a long time. So when it, when it says day one, uh, that it could have been a really long time. We, we don't know. Uh, the problem is again, the, the word day uh, in the Hebrew means day. It means 24 hours. And so it's really hard to try to say um, each day was a really long time. Uh, the last one is literary framework view. And that means that these um, these uh, days of creation don't necessarily have to be, and they shouldn't be interpreted literally, that they are representative of something else. So even what I what I just said, is it is it God's light, his presence shining on them? Um, and again, this is very reflective of, of John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God um, and that his light will shine and, it, and all, all these languages here. Um, of that. So if, if Jesus's presence is light shining on humanity in John 1, 1, is he pulling from what Genesis 1, 1 meant? So that's, that's all. Okay. That, that these different views, different days mean something, not necessarily literally, uh, but could be something else. There's a lot of different views even within that, that I'm not going to jump into. Okay, I covered a lot. I didn't. I didn't give any answers. Okay, so so stick around. I'm going to introduce our guests, um, and then we will jump into questions they might have. I'll I'll share a little bit more of, of where I'm at, um, and not try to get into what I believe Genesis one and two teaches. We'll talk about that next week. So again, thanks for being here. I hope you enjoyed this uh, confusing topic that it's not very concrete and yet it's really important and yet not as important as some people might make it out to be. All right. Thanks. Hope you can stick around for our guest. Okay, everyone. Welcome back to Sunday Rewind. I want to welcome our guests. We have Ben and Emily Jones. Uh, I've known them really only since we've started Lower Town. I don't, I guess, Ben, we went maybe a little bit before then, maybe we met at a boot camp or something like that men's event, maybe possibly. But um, anyways, why don't you uh, both just introduce yourselves, what you do for a living or for fun or anything like that. And let us, let us know a little bit more, more about yourselves. So my name is Ben Jones. Uh, I've been with lower town since we started. Uh, like Brian said, that's probably when we met Emily and I've been married for about three and a half years. I uh, got married in January of 2017. Um, I just accepted a job as a process engineer at an injection molding company uh, just across the border in Wisconsin, actually. Um, but we live in the northern neighborhood of St. Paul. Uh, we really like it here. Um, yeah. Awesome. All right, Emily, how about you? Uh, I, my name is Emily Jones. Uh, I work as an engineer for a medical device uh, company here in Minnesota. Um, and I'm excited to talk about this topic today. Awesome. All right. So uh, I sent you kind of a couple kind of precursor questions, but um, so let's just start off with kind of what was your your upbringing? I, I mentioned that for me, it was um, the, the young earth um, view. And, um, and, and still, I, I don't necessarily totally disagree with, uh, with that position. Um, but uh, yet at the same time, I still I'm confused. I still have some questions. It doesn't it doesn't uh, 
scratch all the itches I have, if you will, when it comes to uh, creation and, and how everything got to be the way it is right now. So what, how about you guys? What, what was it like? Was it even a, was it even a, a thought when it, when it came? Yeah, I know for me growing up, uh, my parents and especially my dad uh, was really on a, like really hardcore on what the Bible said and not more than that. Um, well, I guess he, sh- I should say he loved um, sort of that extra biblical evidence you can find. And, you know, there are websites dedicated to that kind of thing, especially on this topic. Um, but even just all kinds of archaeology related to biblical events. Um, and so when it came to like creation, I don't really remember ever being raised to believe, especially on that young old earth debate, one thing or the other, just absolutely that God did it and that evolution uh, was wrong and like had no place, no, no compatibility with scripture, um, which you, you touched on. Um, nevertheless, in, I know in high school, I kind of did adopt what I sort of later learned or understood to be a young earth sort of viewpoint. Um, I actually did kind of like the idea that, you know, if God created Adam with age, why couldn't he even made the earth with age to sort of, and, it, you know, not necessarily trick us, but just uh, why not, why not essentially. And, you know, when it comes to God and the question, why not? I think that's where we leave it, where God can really do what he wants. Cause he's God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Emily, how about you? Yeah. I, I don't really remember being taught a specific theology or viewpoint around creation. I think uh, I remember in high school, I was just really interested in creation myths from all various cultures and religions and things like that. So I think I just saw what was presented in Bible as just another iteration of those. Um, I didn't, I didn't uh, grow up with a lot of, I guess, like Christian orthodoxy. Um, so that's kind of how I, I viewed it. It just kind of seemed like a, a nice or interesting story. Um, so yeah, didn't have a, have a particular theology of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then if you, if you guys had to say, or, or, or pick one of those, uh, kind of biblical orthodoxy positions of, of that young earth or literal creationism, uh, the historical creation that I talked about. Uh, the gap theory where there's gaps in between the days, the day age theory where the days could be long or just a, just a literary framework uh, where it doesn't necessarily have to be an exact representation. Um, but it could, it probably means something else. Would you guys say you're in one of those camps or maybe even a, a mixture of those, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's probably somewhere, maybe like a step back from looking at it as uh maybe like a metaphor, you know, I think some people that might adopt that literary framework mentality might go that far of saying like, it's, it's metaphorical. But for me, it's, it's just a step back away from that towards literal. Um, You know, I I do think God did it. uh, And I think he could have done it that fast if he chose. Um, But I think more importantly, it's the way I look at Genesis is that this is how God told Moses to communicate the creation story to those ancient Hebrews, you know? So for them, their concept of day is probably the best thing that worked. You know, I, I, as you said in the podcast, uh, I fully agree that Moses used the word day to mean day. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't use, they had other words that could have meant a longer period of time. Sure. Um, and that's not what he used. So 
and you, you, you can't, you got to do major uh, linguistic gymnastics to try to say day doesn't mean 24 hour period. Right. So. But, you know, in that sense, I think there's still room for God to have done it in more than a day or whatever. But for some reason, he just chose to explain it to those ancient peoples in those terms, you know? Right. So yep. That's totally. the way I look at it, at least. Yeah. Emily, how about you? I think I I agree. Uh, honestly, I haven't had to uh, or really forced myself to wrestle with this question. Uh, I'm not a biologist and kind of tend to avoid that topic. So I haven't had to wrestle with like theory of evolution versus Bible and creation and all that. But I think um, based on what was laid out, uh, I think I do fall into that sort of literary framework view idea. Um, But definitely open to that changing as we hear more and especially with the second part of the podcast uh, next week. Yeah. 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 So Emily, she just met, yeah, the second part of the podcast, I'm going to more specifically hone in on, on the actual Genesis account. Um, what was the point of that text? Kind of even what Ben was uh, alluding to as well. Um, and, and so this one is just kind of the different, the different views, uh, really. And so, yeah. So one, one thing that I do want to mention, at least for me, that if, if I had to land on this, and again, uh, you know, I kind of mentioned this before, but this is not, in my opinion, this is not a hill to die on. Um, and yet I really do think it's, it's important. Um, and I think that scripture um, does give us some answers. And so I think that we can land on a position, but, but we don't necessarily have to, to fight for that position, um, if that makes sense. This is really important. Um, and yet at the same time, we got to be careful. Um, with how, how we do it, matter and manner matter. So uh, one resource that I want to mention, and I met with this author uh, before I spoke on this, because I'm not a scientist. And I don't try to act or, or you know pretend like I'm a scientist. I'm, I'm not. So before I, uh, when I was doing research on this, I met with an actual scientist. His name is Rob uh, Stadler. He's actually one of the lead um, scientists over at Medtronic. He holds hundreds of patents and um, he's, he's a brilliant man and he actually wrote a book called the scientific approach to evolution. Um, and so we sat down, had a cup of coffee. Uh, this was a couple years ago, pre pre COVID, uh, where we could, you know, talk to people face to face back in the day. Remember that? Remember how fun that was? <laughs> um, but great guy. He actually came and, and, uh, listened to me preach on the topic and, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was really good meeting him and talking to him and, brilliant guy and he would actually land in the camp of of a young earth actually hmm. um and really helped me understand where where they were at so he's a brilliant guy he's a science like an actual scientist that's the thing i think sometimes people will say oh well science and the bible they just are at odds with one another and i couldn't disagree more right um, i think that the bible is it's not a science book the kind of the the, the phrase is it's not a science book but it's scientifically accurate um, and so, uh, yeah, so that's, a, and actually the, right across the street, diagonal from, uh, you know, Hope Lower Town, there's a Catholic church and in stone, right when you're walking into their, their sanctuary, it says science and religion in stone right above the, and so, which is just kind of interesting. This doesn't have to be a big complicated, I mean, it is, it is complicated, I guess. It just doesn't have to be this big issue. Right. Um, Anyways, before we start talking about kind of micro and macro evolution, 
Um, I do want to just kind of share a little bit more about my, my viewpoint and feel free to jump in, but I've, I've land on that historical creationism gap, uh, and be like, so in between Genesis one, one and one, two. Um, and there's a, there's a big reason for that. And I'm not going to try to get bogged down in the Hebrew, but, um, when it, when you, in the, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth period. And there's there, the word there for create is, is bara which means that out of nothing, it means he created all the things, right? All the stuff, boom, right there. And then in the rest of the passage, um, it's a different Hebrew word that actually means form, right? So he forms man out of the, the mud and all those different things. Um, that's, it's not um, create these things out of nothing anymore. It's he forms it which is to me interesting, right? That, that there's something in the past and it, it doesn't, in the, in the word beginning is very um, open-minded in the Hebrew language of it's just some unknown, unpredetermined time in the past, all this stuff happened, right? So we can't gauge the age of the earth based on the Hebrew language. We have no idea. And so, so for me, and this is where I start to get to that, kind of like what you guys said, a kind of a step back of that literary framework view of saying, okay, when, then when God says, let there be light, I think that there already was light. I think that there was already these things, but what I think he's doing in those days is he's making the world inhabitable for mankind. And so he's going to say, I'm going to let my presence shine um, on this space. I'm going to dwell in this space with the pinnacle of my creation, which is going to be man. Um, that he's going to start new life. But I think in order to make the world inhabitable, he had to kill off all the other animals that were on the earth, right? Uh, the dinosaurs and those kinds of things. And so there was, who knows, an asteroid or or whatever, volcanoes, and, and they were rapidly destroyed, um, obviously, because they were buried. They had to be buried under some kind of mud and, and whatever to, to turn into fossils. Um, and, and then he starts this new process of creating the world the way that is recorded in the, in the, in the text. So that's where I'm at. Um, and there's a, there's a couple other little things that I don't want to necessarily get into, but it, it is um, even just the order, right? When you, when you look at Genesis one and two, the order is even different in two than it is in one. And he says, let there be light. And then he starts to create the earth. Uh, but then he makes the sun and the moon. But well, where's the light coming from if the sun is not already created? So there's just a lot of things and moving parts, uh, in my opinion. And it, and that's really helped me. It's helped me actually be able to to go to a muse- museum. And they say these T-Rex bones are 10 million years old. And they come from the Jurassic period or Cretaceous period or whatever. And I can go, wow, that's awesome. Like, that's fascinating to me. Um and I can, and instead of saying, oh, nope, they got the date wrong, right? I just, I've always struggled with that. That's personal, right? And again, when I sat down with, with uh, Dr. Rob Stadler, he, he was actually, no, he, he was like, no, I, I do think they're wrong in that. And that's fine. And that was actually the whole point of his book uh, was uh, science, the scientific method when it comes to um, making a new pill. His whole point was, I can't, if I wanted to go to the FDA and say, hey, I found, the proof of, you know, to, to, or the uh, cure for cancer. I couldn't go to them and say, Hey, here's this drug. Well, how do we know it works? Well, just take my word for it. I'm an expert, right? right? I'll look at all, look at my track record here. I've, you know, I've made medicines before I've got all these medical devices that I've created and they go, well, that's not good enough. Right. And he says, Oh no, but look, I've got all my other 
experts with me and they're saying, no, Rob is right. This is going to cure cancer. Um, and he says they would, they would laugh. They'd say, nope, it's got to be proven over and over and over. And yet he said, when it comes to the dating of these materials, a lot of it is based on just the expertise of the person saying it rather than actual science. So it's, it's a good read. A lot of it went over my head. Um, anyways, that, that again, that's called the scientific approach to evolution. And he actually just wrote a new book and I have not read it yet. Um, and that one is actually on the origin of life, which I'm very interested in reading, but I have not uh, on a scientific level. Right. Um, can I, can I create life in a Petri dish kind of a thing? So, yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's, that's something I wanted to touch on was kind of how evolutionary theory is approached today, you know, just because it is a theory and it only ever was a theory because the whole idea of a scientific method, especially is, is repeatability and you cannot, you cannot repeat evolution. Like it's a, it's a theory that really beholds the data. There is that, but it's not anything that can be demonstrated. And so, you know, therefore under the scientific method, it cannot be the law of nature, so to speak, you know, whereas gravity is a law of nature because you can, you can repeat it and demonstrate it. It's effects at least, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'll, I'll actually read a quote here that I've got up from, from Sadler about his, his view on evolution as well, kind of on, on what you just mentioned of the repeatable, he has the whole thing. He's got six things that it should, should follow. And, and, um, he just says when it comes, you know, into the, you know, archeological world, they just don't follow this process. And yet they're saying, Oh no, it's, it's scientific. It's, it's a method that we've done. Um, but so here, here's what he says about grand, grand evolution. This is what he, he's, it's his phrase for talking about, uh, macro evolution of, you know, all life comes from one little, you know, uh, cell or amoeba. Okay. He says grand evolution, which is the theory that all life proceeded from a common ancestor through a slow accumulation of changes as a result of random mutations and natural selection. This grand definition of evolution is what is taught in our classroom and by law and is uh, the subject of surveys mentioned in chapter one, but which is actually fascinating. He talks, he actually, um, there was a study that was, that went out to the United States and I forget how many thousands of people were asked, whatever, but by far the majority of people said, nope, I believe in a creator, uh, God. And I actually believe the earth is young. The next group down said, nope, I believe that there is a God, but I think the earth could be really old. And then the third one was like, oh no, I believe in evolution. But yet it's the, by far the majority of pushed uh, in the media or on television or anything is this idea and in the textbooks of, of this idea of grand evolution. Mm-hmm. So and continuing here, he says, grand evolution implies, implies generalized evolution, um, i.e. major evolutionary changes imply the occurrence of minor evolutionary changes. But general, generalized evolution does not imply grand evolution. Um, so he's saying kind of what I mentioned with, with a dog, right? If, if, if I see, you can see the mutation in a dog, right? As they mate in their line, but it has to stay within their kind, right? So we can see right. dogs change over time. We can see fruit change over time. And yet we never see that cross breeding of, of things, right? Even within, what is it? The, uh, what is it? A mule? What is it? A horse and a donkey, yep. right? They can have one child, but it's, it's sterile, right? You, they can't even they can't even continue to reproduce that, that kind of an animal. It's the same thing with zebras. They have a different name for a zebra and a horse. It's the same thing, but it, it can, it can have a child, but it, it, it's sterile, which sure. is just interesting. Um, so it has to stay within its kind. Um, that's just what he's, 
what he's saying right um within that so anyways any what are your what are your thoughts on kind of the micro versus macro uh i thought i guess to not specifically on macro versus micro but just again some of the challenges of uh evolution as a, as a theory as a model um you mentioned earlier like going to museums and seeing seeing some things uh we went to washington dc in when was that september yeah last september yeah last september and uh went and saw a lot of smithsonian's and and stuff yeah yeah. i was really struck by i think it was the air and space museum actually they talked about how for a long time the accepted model of the universe of everything was you know that earth was the center of the universe and then eventually they got different data that at at the time that was the model that best fit the data that they had available. After a while, they got more data that seemed to suggest, no, actually the sun was the center of the solar system. And actually there's way more out there. And it's fascinating as we walked through this uh, museum exhibit that it started out by saying, we had thought this turned out that was wrong. It was this. And then by the end of the, um, walking through that exhibit, they were talking about like, uh, you know, big bang theory and like um, cosmic background uh, radiation and things like that. And, but speaking of the theory as the undeniable fact without allowing for, there could someday be more data or information that comes in uh, to, to again, change that. So we did the air and space museum one day. And then I think the next day we went over to the uh, Museum of Natural History. And then it was a lot of the same thing there, you know, talking about evolution and, and all of that. And so um, I think the way I, I tend to look at it is like maybe evolution is, is, is seems to be a workable theory for people who are in that field. But I think there's a fallacy that's committed when, it, when you take the theory and then bring it all the way to the logical, you know, conclusion and then say that therefore is the undeniable truth without allowing for the humility of different data to come in and, and other things like that. So uh, I think that's kind of back to your original question of macro versus micro. Like you can observe micro and and repeat it in these ways of like, uh, I don't know if you heard of, I've ever heard of like that moth experiment where no. there were moths that were white and very common in, I think it was England before the industrial Re- revolution. And then during the industrial revolution, you know, there was a bunch more soot. And so the white moths were very visible. And then a moth that was a darker color that, you know, could, could happen based on uh, just, I guess you might, one might say random, random mutations, but just like, it was just natural in the population. The darker moth came to take over like that characteristic on the others. And that's very much an example of that microevolution to see how that species like adapted in that moment but it was still within its kind. And so, uh, yeah, I guess that's just all to say is we can observe mi- micro evolution, but macro, like Ben said earlier, you know, we can't repeat that from, from the beginning. So we can't, the data is, you know, not achievable. Yeah, exactly. And the hard part too, is that, you know, when we talk about even just our views, you know, on a biblical worldview of creation, um, you know, we still actually have to say, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually still a theory for us as well. Right. Cause right, we don't yeah, yeah. agree with ourselves and, and we can't repeat it either. Right. I mean, we have to take this ancient text word that this is what happened 
Um, and that's uh, the big difference, right? For both camps, it is faith. And I think, I mean, right. you should admit that it's faith for us as much as it is, as it is for them, but cutting right. both ways, obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And again, I think that's, that's a, I don't want to look at somebody like, Oh man, you believe that you're crazy. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't, I think there's a place for it and I think we can, we can learn, um, you know, and I think it happens. I think the biggest question that comes up, at least with, with people that I've talked with, um, is just actually humanity. I don't think they had necessarily have a problem with saying, okay, God created, but they're going, what about the Neanderthals? What about, you know, sure. uh, that, that history, you know, science has, you know, they found these skeletons and clearly we've evolved from that. And again, this isn't, this is not, um, this is not part of the raft, right? I think it's really important. And I think the important thing that I have to hold on to, and I always hold on to is that, yeah, God created life and he created humanity as the pinnacle of his creation. So am I going to allow for maybe, uh, was there some type of evolution from some type of ape that went to that? Okay, sure. Maybe, maybe I'll allow it. I don't personally believe that not even close, but let's just say for their sake. Yep. Okay, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll allow it. But at some point, God had to come in and intervene and say that you are no longer a Neanderthal. You are now human. You are now a homo sapien or whatever you want to label it as. That had to happen. Um, again, I don't, I don't agree with that, but um, I'd be okay with that if that, if that makes sense. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked how you laid out, you know, just – what are some of the facts that we have and that, that direct creation of Adam and Eve being, being one and like that they are historic figures. But I also liked what you said when like this apparent conflict between like the Bible and science that ultimately when all the facts are out there, there's no conflict between them. Yeah. Um, I really liked that. I think that's, yeah, that's, I definitely agree. That's how I tend to view things as well. I think that's really helpful. Um, to recognize like we don't know everything. Right. Right. And that's the, the thing is back in the day when, when the evolutionary theory really started, you know, liberalism, whatever you want to call it started to take root in the United States, there was a uh, really big trial, the scopes monkey trial. Are you guys familiar with this? Charles Darrow and um, who else? I forget who, who the other guy was. Anyways, there was an actual scientist and then some, some just preacher. Um, and they, they had to debate and, and the, the preacher just made a fool of himself. You know, he, he just was like, well, this is what the Bible says. And they're like, no, here is science. Here's observable, observable things that we've, we've looked at and we can see this. And so, um, and that's when they kind of, you know, took, you know, the idea of a grand designer out of the public schools and, um, and all that. Right. So, because they just were uneducated in these aspects and, and the only people who were educated, um, the only people that were going to the universities were people that were not Christians. Um, there's actually a pretty famous quote by a guy, uh, evangelist named Billy Sunday. Um, he used to play for the Chicago White Sox uh, back in the day. But um, anyway, um, he was quoted in saying that if he had a million dollars, he would give $999,000, $999 to the church, uh, and he would give $1 to education. And, I, and, I, and then he was right in that era. Um, and then you had a lot of these new Christian schools that were popping up and they didn't take these topics seriously. Sure. Um, and so I think that has shifted that I think, you know, you guys are both well-educated. You're both 
in the engineering world, you know, and yet you can hold on to a, a belief system that says, oh, no, there is a God and yeah. he created, uh, just like Dr. Sadler and, and, um, and his, you know, he's got coworkers that, that are the same way, you know, and it's like, you know, this guy is a, like, you know, actually a scientist, you know, so anyway, I'm sure he takes flack. I, I, I can almost guarantee he probably takes flack for it, you know, but. Yeah, there's, I've noticed and some people older than me have noticed that there's kind of like a trend in engineers specifically, so almost distinct as scientists, that you can find a lot of believers that are engineers, where if you you kind of stick a fork out and pick an academic scientist, you might not find that. But if you sure. go to like a manufacturing company, chances are you're going to find a believer, yeah. um, sort of, you know, and that's just hearsay. That's anecdotal. Don't, you know, I'm not looking at survey results or anything, but that's yeah, yeah. something I've observed. Yeah. Well, for a while at, in our NAVS ministry, it was almost like over 50% engineering majors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's actually a unique thing at Hope. Uh, we have a lot of engineers at, at Hope. Um, yeah. So. All right. Well, we are uh, approaching, quickly approaching 30 minutes here. So we will uh, we'll call it for now. Uh, thanks for joining again. And again, everyone listening, we will, uh, you know, we'll have a part two where we'll actually dig into the text. We'll have another uh, guest with us to talk through some things and um, we will go from there. So thanks for listening and join us next week for our next episode of Sunday Rewind. Thanks again for being here. Thanks again for joining me today on Sunday Rewind. I hope it was informative as well as helpful in your everyday life as you pursue your walk with Jesus as Lord.